All right. Good morning, guys. So we are just continuing our series called That You May Have Life. And so we've been looking at the Gospel of John and seeing that Jesus is the one who gives life. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always been kind of strangely drawn to people who are different. And I think of this guy that I went to college with named Ryan. He lived on my dorm floor. And he used to run around our college campus with his iPod. This is back in the day of iPods. And he had his uh, headphones on. And he would run. And I'll never forget just seeing him run down like the main drag of campus with his fingers out like drumsticks. And he would just run at, at full speed just drumming in the air like no one else was around. And everyone would just be staring at him, and he did not have a care in the world. And I just remember being like, man, I wish I was more like that. I wish I was that free and didn't care what people thought. That would be amazing. So I was kind of drawn into his difference. And I think that similarly this morning, we're going to see that we're drawn to Jesus because he's in a category by himself. We're simply going to see that Jesus is different in three different ways. The first one we're going to see is he's different in his limitless power. So we're looking at John chapter 6, verses 2 through 11 to start. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. Now it's interesting to note that throughout the Gospel of John, that he refers to happenings like this as signs, not as miracles. A miracle would just be a display of raw supernatural power. But a sign is pointing us toward something else. And John is saying that these people are following Jesus because of the signs that he is doing on the sick. In other words, they're not just looking at what he has done in healing people or raising people from the dead, but they're looking deeper and they're saying, there is something different about this person. So in this crowd, we have 5,000 men, because in that day, it was a little bit sexist, they only counted the dudes, and there were actually probably more like fifteen to 20,000 people in this crowd. And in their haste, they had come out into this open field. They're all sitting on the grass. 
and none of them had remembered to pack a lunch. And so the disciples are getting a little bit hungry. The people are getting hungry, probably a little bit hangry. And so Jesus is like, hey, how are we going to get these people lunch? He's asking Philip this question to test him. And Philip responds by saying, even if we had what would be equivalent to $50,000, we wouldn't be able to feed everybody who's in this crowd. And then Peter is like trying to solve the problem, but he solves it in the most lame way possible, right? He brings this kid who's got a few fish and a few loaves of bread, and he's kind of like, but what's this when we're trying to feed this many people? Right? So they're both standing there, kind of awkward. And Jesus simply has the people sit down and he feeds all of them by simply giving thanks and having his disciples distribute food to them. And they get their fill. Now, there's people in our day who immediately hear that and they say, that can't happen. That's impossible. This never happened. There has to be an alternative explanation. And sometimes, even within the so-called Christian community, people don't believe in signs or in miracles And they try to give alternative explanations. And so there's a couple alternative explanations to the raw display of power that Jesus shows here. One of those is the communion example. Here's what people say. They say, basically, Jesus didn't give everybody their fill, but it felt like their fill Because he just took little teeny pieces from the loaves and the fish and gave everybody just a little bit to signify that they would be filled by him. Here's a problem with that. There's no evidence of it in the text, and there's no evidence at all from history. Okay, here's another alternative example that people give. People say that everyone in the crowd, had actually already packed a lunch. Okay? This is for real. And they basically say that Jesus was like, look, this kid packed his lunch. See? He's got lunch. It's time to eat. And then people were like, oh yeah, I do have lunch. And they like take it out of their backpack or whatever. Or they, they're like hiding it under their cloak and they pull their lunch out. And then everybody eat, ate. So it kind of felt like a miracle. Again, the problem is it's kind of creative, like rewriting history, but there is no evidence for it anywhere. It's just being pulled out of people's minds. The reason that people try to come up with alternative explanations is because they don't believe the fundamental truth that we saw at the very beginning of the Gospel of John. Do you remember how the Gospel of John began? It said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes on to say, all things were made through him. If you 
you believe all things were made through Jesus, that he is the creator of the ends of the earth, and that the creator of the ends of the earth became human, it's easy to believe that he did this. But if you throw out who he is, then you have to come up with an alternative explanation for these displays of power because that would be impossible for a mere human to pull off. Now, in my preparation, I came across a sermon by a guy by the name of Dick Lucas, who I love to listen to. He's actually still alive. He's in his 90s. He's still preaching, but this was an old sermon that he had preached. And he's talking about how people come up with alternative explanations for this text. And he's a British preacher, and he said that when he was in college, it astounded him because he was learning alternative explanations for the signs and wonders that Jesus did from his professors. But then he would go to church with these exact same professors who didn't believe in the miraculous power of Jesus, were writing articles about it, were writing books about it, and they would stand next to each other in services like this and recite the Nicene Creed. And in the Nicene Creed, it says this, And we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God and true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. So his professors were saying, There's no way Jesus could have actually done this miraculous sign. And yet, we believe that Jesus made everything. And he's like, wait a second. This is a giant contradiction. If we believe that Jesus is God, then what we believe is that this is easy for him. Why not accept this historical account? Think about how easy this would be to disprove. This book was written only maybe 40 years after these events happened. 20,000 people witnessed Jesus doing this sign. If you came out and said Jesus did this sign, and there were 20,000 people there who knew that he didn't, don't you think word would spread and it would be disproven? And yet, the record stands. Jesus is different in his limitless power. He prays, he takes a few fish, he takes a few loaves, and he feeds 20,000 people, which signifies that he is the creator of the ends of the earth. God himself, walking in flesh, on planet earth. So we see that Jesus is different in his limitless power. Secondly, we see that Jesus is different in his timely provision. Let's pick up the story in verse 12. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Okay, so here's the disciples. They have seen the limitless power of Jesus. 
And the application for them was they had a lot of work to do. Because there's 20,000 people, there's 12 disciples, and the people who had to distribute the food were the co-laborers of Jesus. So you can imagine the disciples simultaneously being like, yes, this is awesome that you just made this much food, but also this is going to be a lot of work for us. And so the disciples are walking amongst this crowd, feeding everybody this food. I can imagine how long that took. And so they are tired, and like good servants of Christ, they waited till the end, till they would eat. And so they're wondering, as they're handing out all this food, is there going to be any food left for us? Like, that's awesome, Jesus, that you're feeding this crowd. But in feeding this crowd, you're making us more hungry. So you can imagine, they're just like sweating, they're tired, they've been handing out food for hours. And they come back to the side of Jesus. And they're all wondering, like my kids do at dinner time, I have five kids, is there going to be any food left for me? And miraculously, there are exactly 12 baskets of food. And you can imagine it dawning on the disciples, like, there's just enough food for all of us. And they look up at Jesus, and you can almost see the twinkle of it in his eye. Like, I got you guys. I'm going to take care of you. You can't outgive me. You can't outwork me. I'm going to take care of you because I'm not just concerned about the crowds. I'm concerned about you. And when you come and follow me, when you give your life to me, when you lay down your life to serve other people, I will make sure that you are taken care of as well. Because I'm not just a sign doer, I am your provider. And I just thought, man, this text is perfect for where we are at as a church right now. Some of us are like, man, I wrote a big check to make this building happen. Some of us are like, okay, I've served in kids' ministry when it was set up, tear down. Man, I've been serving on the tech team for six years and been getting there at five o'clock in the morning and been leaving at one o'clock and I have been absolutely exhausted. And sometimes we wonder along the way, like, okay, Jesus, we're putting this work in. We're doing what you've asked us to do. We're seeking to be obedient to you. Are you going to take care of me? Like, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. Now I'm sharing a personal testimony. <laughs> and it's like, are you going to take care of me? And I think, yes, we need the warning as we meet in this building, like not to make it our God. And we need to make sure that we don't become a comfortable country club church. And we need that. But we also need to just say, thank you. Like, this is amazing. What a timely provision for our church. What a beautiful thing. 
that Jesus is like, listen, guys, I know that you've been laboring for my kingdom in this city for six years. And there have been aspects of that that have been hard. And Jesus, with a twinkle in his eye, this morning to all of us is saying, I got you. I'm faithful. And yes, we are like them to look beyond the sign. And we are to thank the giver. Because we're going to continue to see in this text that the ultimate thing we need is not bread or a building. What we ultimately need is Jesus himself. We need him to meet our needs. We need him to provide us with something that is beyond this material world. In fact, he said that his kingdom is not of this world, but that does not make us less thankful for the signs. It makes us more thankful for the signs. We just say, yeah, this is great. This is amazing. And I think that's the moment that the disciples are having here. They see Jesus' timely provision to meet their growling hunger, and they're just amazed. Okay, so we see the limitless power of Jesus, the timely provision of Jesus, and finally, we see the delightful peculiarity of Jesus. Look with me at verses 14 through 21. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Okay, so the people see the sign. They realize, whoa, this guy took a few fish and a few loaves and fed 20,000 people. And they're like, he would make an amazing political leader. Like, he could solve every social problem that we have. No one's ever going to go hungry Everyone's going to have prosperity. He's going to take care of all of our material needs forever. Let's make him king. Now, usually, what people are trying to use their power and resources to do in meeting the needs of people is exalt themselves. So you would expect Jesus at this point, if he were merely human, just be like, finally, you guys recognized it. Throw the crown on my head, give me the robe, bow down, and serve me right now. And Jesus, as they're saying this, you can, you can hear the chants going through the crowd. They're like doing the wave. It's like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And at this moment of the height of his popularity with a crowd of 20,000 people cheering for him, Jesus just exits stage left, and they don't even recognize he leaves. And just goes. He's just gone. And he goes to a mountain by himself. 
to talk to God. What's he doing? Doesn't he want to be famous? Doesn't he want likes? Doesn't he want to be a celebrity? No. His identity is rock solid. Not in the approval of man, but in relationship to his father. He just loves his dad. Withdraws to a mountain to spend time with his father. To center himself. To enjoy relationship with him. But that's not even the weirdest part of the text. That's not even what makes him so peculiar. Okay, Here's what God tells Jesus to do on the mountain. He's like, hey Jesus, I got an idea. He's like, okay. Speak, your servant hears. And the father's like, I want you to go water skiing without a boat on the Sea of Galilee. Okay, here's where I'm getting that from. In Mark's gospel, it's a cross-reference to this passage. It says that when Jesus was out on the Sea of Galilee walking, that he meant to pass by his disciples. This is a strange editorial comment. He meant to pass by them. Which means these guys are rowing across this lake in a strong wind. And Jesus' intention in going out onto the lake was not to give them a visit. His intention in going out on the lake was just to enjoy a stroll on the lake. What? Why was he doing that? Because... At the center of the heart of Jesus Christ is this relationship that he has with his Father. See, what Jesus is trying to draw us into is not power and pleasure and the wisdom of this world and money and fame And getting all the desires of our lives satisfied. He is saying to us, this is the good life. This is what you're looking for. This is where life is found. Let me show you how I lived this out as a human being. It is in relationship with God. It's in knowing him and in doing what he says. And God is a fun dad. He's like, come on an adventure with me. The point is not what I'm going to do through you. The point is what you're going to do with me. And so Jesus loves to spend time with his father. And he is calling us into that type of relationship. How easily do we get caught up in serving God and our motives get mixed and we start serving God for our own glory and for our own fame to get attaboys, to get pats on the back. And then we start neglecting what fueled our service of God in the beginning, which is our relationship with God. Maybe God is pulling you away from service for a little while. He's saying, listen, you've been working so hard 
but your motives have gotten mixed. You've gotten a little off track. You've gotten a little messed up in this. And you've forgotten that I'm not asking you to do a bunch of things for me, but I'm asking you to be in relationship with me. And I think that if that's true of us, there's going to be some odd things in our lives like they were in the life of Jesus. There's going to be some things that don't make sense. I remember reading this biography of another famous British preacher, there's a theme going here, by by the name of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in the last century. And I remember being delighted to find this out because if you ever listen to to Martin Lloyd-Jones or you see a picture of him, he is a very serious person. And, And you just get this picture of him like he's got kind of like a furrowed brow. He's very logical in his sermons, very serious British guy who preached in the last century. And I remember reading in this biography that one of his favorite pastimes when he was off the stage, when he was at home with his grandkids, was to watch professional wrestling with them. Like not like real wrestling, but like WWF wrestling. And, and for whatever reason, like in the early 80s, late 70s, whenever that came out, That was like toward the end of his life. And off the stage, he just had this like really peculiar habit of watching wrestling with his grandkids and delighting in that. And I thought to myself, I want to be like that. There should be a peculiarity to us because our aim is to not with all of our seriousness to serve God kind of begrudgingly and dutifully but like our Savior, to make it our ambition and our priority to know God. To spend time with our dad. To enjoy relationship with him. Because that is where life is found. It is possible, we all know this, to have a full stomach and a beautiful house And to have everything going right in your life from an external perspective and yet be miserable. Could it be that what is missing completely for some of us and partially for others of us because we have forgotten is that we were made for this relationship with God to be at the very center of our lives. So I wonder... If you might be here this morning because you came to see this building, a sign of God's faithfulness. Wow, this is amazing. This is beautiful. This is awesome. And you're like these people who look at this bread and these fish and they see the sign and they're like, wow, this is incredible. And I wonder if the real reason that you're here this morning is not to see this building, but to meet Jesus. To see through this to the giver of this and to see that he is the one who can satisfy your soul forever. He has food that will never run out. Not material food, but spiritual food. He can connect you to your heavenly Father, who will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches.
Would you come to him? Come to see the building? Stay for Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for those who are guests here this morning. And my heart has especially been heavy for them. God, because we are rejoicing in your provision for us materially. We see your hand in all of this. But we want this to be a place where people see beyond what can be seen and see your goodness, your faithfulness, your heart, your love, the eternal life that you offer that is not material but is real And so I ask that this would be a place where you draw people to yourself. Even this morning, God, will somebody whose eyes who were closed when they came in the room be opened to see the beauty of the love of the Father in the gift of Jesus. Pray this all in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.